This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. All right, we've been teaching on the Holy Spirit, and we continue in that, especially in Acts chapter 2. I know we've been in it uh, already for a little while, but it's such an important event, and it's such uh, a great study of the Holy Spirit uh, that I want to continue with that. We didn't get to finish where we were, and we I added a few little things to it uh, as well this week also. But, you know, what the, let me give you just a little bit of something what the Lord gave me. Uh, Saturday morning, I was riding down the road, and uh, it kind of gave me this thought, and I wanted to, to share it with you. You know, we all love our um, technology. We, we love all the things that we have, our, our phones, our iPads, computers, all these things, and, and I enjoy them as well. But I know that you know that sooner or later, if you don't charge those things up, the next time you go to use it, it, it doesn't work. The charger go away. In fact, most of our, uh, most of our things, electronics will tell us that, you know, hey, you, you're getting on down here. You need to, to charge it up. And I'm thinking the same thing applies to us as Christians with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to charge us up, keep us charged up. And it's sad, but many Christians feel like, okay, I got that initial charge when I got saved. And you did. Holy Spirit came in. But you know what? We are dealing with the world, with the ideas of the world, with the troubles that are going on all around us, with issues in our own families and life and all of these things. And they drain us, just like our electronics are drained when we use them. It drains us every day. We got to think about this. We got to deal with this. We got to try to do this and do that. And, and all that has a drain on us as Christians. And I began to think of it, you know, it's sad when Christians don't feel like they need to get plugged back in. They need to get charged up. They need to read my Bible. I need to get it off the shelf. I need, I need to get down and pray a little bit more. I need to get to the, to the Lord's house on Wednesday nights and, and Sundays and, and get charged up because we still got to keep going. You know, we don't take those electronics and throw them away when they run out of charge and say, well, I'll go buy another one. That'll get expensive after a while, won't it? And we don't have to worry about finding another Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. But the thing is, we need to stay plugged in. And I thank the Lord for that thought He gave me going down the road, and I thought I just wanted to share it with you. It's something that we need to do, and we'll we'll touch on that a little bit in the lesson today. But let's get back to Acts chapter two, and we have been following the Holy Spirit as a wind, as a mighty force and strength, as a dove, as a comforter, and then we found out last time we found the Holy Spirit once again as the sound of a rushing mighty wind. As the, as it looked a fire that was on the, on the heads and also tongues was present in this, uh, event that took place as well. So let's read Acts chapter two and get back with it. Uh, it, and verse one of Acts chapter two. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, uh, all with one accord in one place. We talked about that being together being thinking on the same thing, dwelling on the same thing. You know, we should do the same thing when we come into the Lord's house. 
We ought to be coming here with one accord, looking to hear from the Word of God, looking to hear from God, looking to receive something from Him. If we all come in and this one's looking to do this over here and talk to this over here and act like this over here, we're not in one accord. But it's very important. Verse number two. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. That sound, we're going to find out again today, was something that not only they heard tremendously up there in that room, but it was so loud that it also, that sound was heard outside of the building. And I know that because we see the scriptures and what they're going to say about it. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire. You know, we got as of a rushing, as of a rushing mighty wind, as of fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this noise was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak what? Gibberish? No, their own language. They heard their language. They were all amazed and marveled saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? So they say, well, I don't want to say these men, they're not, they're not educated to speak my language. How can they do that? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia. Pagera and Iamphala and Egypt and all and in the parts of Libya and about Cyrene and strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes. There were those that didn't believe in the Lord there too. Grecians and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. You know something, that language meant something, not only because it was in their tongue, but it was, and it was not speaking something that had no importance to it. But those, those language were, were talking about God, what the amazing things God could do. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking and said, these men are full of new wine. I'll talk about it. Whenever the Spirit of God wants to move in, in any place, there are going to be people that mock that. There are going to be people make fun of it. There are going to be people that say it's not real. And so you, you need to be aware of that. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. I'm going to stop right there, brother, in that uh, verse 14, and we'll pick that up in just a minute again as we talk more about what Peter did and what came upon him. But let's go back and think about what's going on we know that the 120 were gathered in the upper room and they were there because Jesus had told them to go there. They were there because that is where that the promise was going to come. Jesus said, wait for that. And that's what they were doing. And it was an important day. And it's called the day of Pentecost, a one-time event there that day. But is it a one-time event that the Spirit moves only on that day at that particular time? 
I don't believe that. I believe the Spirit wants to move every time we are gathered together. It wants to move on our hearts. It wants to move in our lives individually together. So it is very important because why? We still need to do what the disciples were getting ready to do, and that's go forth and make other disciples. They needed that power to do that. All right, today, are we still in need of going forth and reaching the, the world with the gospel? Yes. And so many times, I, I think I mentioned this before, people, well, I, I would go and witness to so-and-so, but I wish you would do it for me. I, I just, I'm just nervous about it, and I, don't, I won't say the right thing, and, and, and this, and I want to tell them, listen, it's not about you anyway, it's about the Holy Spirit leading in you, guiding you, speaking through you, giving you what you need. If you'll be faithful and go, He will help you do that. And so we need that today. Pray for that power when you get ready to go out and talk to others about Christ. So the day of Pentecost, of course, festival there known as late Judaism is Pentecost, and it was the second of their three great festivals of the Jewish people. But we touched on some of the things that were taking place there. The when we mentioned was that we have come across that before. We talked about how it's in reference to the Spirit moving. And it happens as a sudden sound, a blowing, violent wind, if you will. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And no doubt it even uh, was heard on the outside because it was such a great sound of wind. And we talked about that in the Bible. Now the fire we mentioned back in verse number 3 was the second sign. The wind was the first one. The fire was the second one. And the fire uh, that they saw was as of cloven tongues resting upon each of the head. And that was important because the wind was a, was a sound thing. The fire was a, a seeing thing. And it meant something to them. We talked about how they related to fire because God had used it in the Old Testament so many times, guiding the Israelites by night, uh, hovering over the tabernacle, the fire, Mount Carmel, all these things they remember about the fire. So they associated that with God's divine presence. So it was no doubt in anybody's mind there in that room that God had come on the scene in the form of the Holy Spirit. The sound, you know, for the, for the all of a sudden, a sound of a rushing mighty wind just to be in that house. How could that happen? And yet it did, and then the fire was present as well. So all of these things, fire not only brings warmth and, and light to us, but we need to remember it's a passion of light that shines on the inside of us. When we go out in this world, we're going out into a dark world of sin. People need to see the light. They need to see Jesus. So we're carrying that light when we go out. So it is very important that we remember that. Now let's get to the, to the third thing. This is where we left off before, and that was the speaking in tongues. The third sign that the Spirit of God had been received. And it was happening in the upper room 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in the tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And that filling of the Spirit is not to be confused with the baptism of the Spirit. You see, when we get saved, we've talked about this over and over again, we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in. We genuinely ask Him to save us. We mean business with God. We get saved. But just like that illustration that I was talking to you about at the beginning of the lesson today, we need to continually be charged up. Don't let your battery run down spiritually. So there, there are uh, uh, times when we can be uh, a dry spell in our life where we feel like that not a lot is going on with us and we need, we need some help. We need some strength. We need some things to, course, as we continue in this life that we're living here. So we need to realize many times over the Spirit wants to just strengthen us and charge us back up and lead us somewhere else. You know, you may have been, He may have been leading you down this direction in your life to minister in this way and do this thing, but you know what? Sometimes that proves to be a dead end after a while. You've done all that you can do in that area, and he may turn around and lead you in the very opposite direction, still in the will of God, still doing what God wants you to do, but in a different way. And, you know, I've had people tell me that. You know, I, Brother David, I've been, I've been doing this for so long, and, and in this particular area of my life, I just feel the Spirit leading me to do this now. I said, well, follow the leading of the Spirit. Long as it's in the Lord's will, long as you're still doing the work of God, He's not going to lead you to quit serving Him. I can tell you that. He's not going to lead you to say, well, you just need to take a break and give up on God for a while. He's not going to lead you to do that. It's a shame today. We got a lot of people, I feel like in our church buildings, that have decided that they're going to take a break on God and not going to come back to the Lord's house. And I just don't believe the Spirit's leading you to do that. No, He's not. No, He's not. He wants us to assemble together. And if you're physically able to do that, and you're physically able to get out and do other things, then you ought to be able to come to the Lord's house. Well, that's a whole different message, ain't it? We'll move on from that. <laughs> but listen, how many times have you maybe heard the preacher pray? I've done the same thing right before I teach or I preach, or he preaches and he say, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Use me that I might preach the Word of God with boldness. That, that's a prayer that's asking the Spirit to be upon Him today, use Him today, fill Him today with the words and thoughts that He needs. I don't ever try to get up and teach without asking the Spirit to help me. I don't want to ever do it on my own. Because I may have some notes that I look at, but you know what? There are many times over there are so many things that come across my mind. I know the same thing with Brother Danny. And we sometimes we step back and say, well, I don't know what made me go into that. The Spirit made you go into that, led you into that. Someone needed that. You didn't know who needed it. I didn't know. But I'm following the Lord's leading. I'm following the Spirit's leading in my life. And the same thing can happen to you. You open up God's Word and read it. There may be a, an agenda you had for today that, or any other day that you were going to stick to and you were going to do, and then all of a sudden you start reading God's Word and He starts speaking to you, and guess what? You ended up doing something totally different because you were led by the Spirit to go another direction. So that's why it's so important for that. Now, this task of those, 
who received the tongues and fire, and they were speaking the good news. Those that are attending Pentecost, 120, they didn't speak, this, this wasn't a language of angels. This wasn't the groans of the Spirit that the words cannot express. You know, the Bible mentions that. That there are, there are things that we can't express, but the Spirit expresses those things for us. But this wasn't the deal here. Because people needed to hear it and understand what was going on. And that's exactly what they did. They began to speak the, the languages of the God-fearing Jews, those who came and even didn't believe in, in God, from Egypt, Asia Minor, Italy, all these places that represented the known world in that day. And so it was miraculous thing was that they were hearing these people speak their language so fluently that they understood every bit of it, and they didn't have any education to be able to learn these languages. They were Galilean. In fact, I studied a little bit about the Galileans. Often the Galileans had problems pronouncing a lot of their own language. They didn't do it eloquently. And yet God used this particular situation by the Holy Spirit that they could speak those languages. And I want to say this morning, before we get too caught up in, on the speaking of tongues, this is just one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit was doing, and it was for a reason. It was given at this time to invite every tribe, every language, every people that could hear the good news of the salvation they could, it could be offered to them. They would understand it. And you're getting ready to find out when Peter stood up to preach, he was full of that spirit and he was preaching so that they could understand exactly what had taken place. You know, contrary to belief today, we don't need to speak in tongues in our church today. We all understand the same language. Now, when a missionary, if we want to put it this way, I thought about it. When a missionary goes to another country, that these people will not understand the English language. What, what do we find? That missionary has to learn the tongue of those people. He wants to reach them. They want to stand up wherever they have God has sent them and preach that Sunday in a language that they understand. So, yeah, they, they may speak in the tongue of that people that day so that they can understand that. Pentecost is to be seen here as a prophesied outpouring of the Spirit that took place. And it was a making the announcement to people that God is still here. He's on the scene. You know, many of them thought saw Jesus go back up to heaven. Well, that's it going to be it. That's, this thing is over with. No, no. You go back, wait for the promise. You go back and find out what's going to happen. And sure enough, God came down in that form of the Spirit. He said, I would not leave you. Remember we studied that lesson on the comforter? He said, I'll not leave you comfortless. So that's exactly what he did. <clears throat> so we have a response that is going to take place here. And so that response 
Can you get Acts chapter 2 back up there, brother, with verse number 12? Let's go back to verse number 12, if you can. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, <clears throat> What meaneth this? Look at verse 13 as well. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. What in the world does this mean? Oh, I'll tell you what it means. They've just been up there drinking is all they're doing. They're just drunk. Oh, no. So the response of the people who heard this, heard the wonders of God in their own language, to see and hear the Holy Spirit poured out in such an extraordinary power, you would think that they would be falling on the ground thinking, oh my goodness, God is here. You would think that they will be leaping for joy and say, well, praise the Lord. God's on the scene. But it wasn't like that for many of them. We find that there was skepticism. There were people that were, they were saying, this, this is, I don't like this. I don't think it's anything about this. I'm not putting any, any, uh, value on this. You remember when Jesus himself was doing great miracles, and at one time they he uh, had skepticism. In fact, he even had people said he was doing these marvelous works through the power of Beelzebub. You know who Beelzebub is? Another name for the devil. Accused Jesus, the Son of God, doing miracles because he had power from the devil. The devil was giving it to him to do that. And you'd be surprised probably how many people believe that and say, yeah, I, I agree with that. Probably right. And like I said a little bit earlier, when the Spirit of God comes in your church and our church, when revival breaks out in our church, when people start getting saved and baptized and things start happening in our church, you better believe there's always going to be people who are going to criticize that. There's always going to be those in that that say, I don't believe that it's happening. I don't think that it's real. Well, you know, it's not for us to judge whether it's real or not. But we ought to be rejoicing when people get saved. We ought to be thankful when they get baptized and when they start serving the Lord. Because these believers realized here that it was a very important event that had taken place. The suddenness of it. The, the, only the Holy Spirit could have done that. The Holy Spirit isn't bound to anyone's thinking, anyone's reasoning. The Holy Spirit moves as it will, just like the wind. I can't tell the wind where to stop and start and blow and not blow. I was watching the news where we just had those storm come through and boy, down in Colonial Heights and Petersburg and down that area, they had a lot of damage. Up here, we didn't have that kind of damage. I thank the Lord for that. But I pray for them that had it down there. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't make the wind not blow here. It just didn't happen here. And the same thing we need to realize here is that it is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a free and sovereign person of the Trinity. They are three in one, but they are work together. And it's his timing. It's his technique. It's his power that comes upon people. And it's needed in our churches today. It's needed in our individual lives today. Revival is not something that we can fabricate. 
It's not something that we can say, well, I'm going to have revival, and because I said we're going to have revival, we're going to have it. I think it has to be prayed for. It has to be sought after. It has to be humbly. We have to get our hearts ready. We have to be prepared to let the Lord move. And that's the way it really should be every service when we come in. Get your heart right with God before you get here. Be ready to receive something from the Lord. Don't let any kind of sin stand in the way. But it will come, and then when it does, scoffers will be there, just like they were back in this day. They will continue in that. So let's get back to Acts chapter 2, and let's look at this sermon. Uh, maybe verse 15. Let's see where we're at with that. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is by the third hour of the day. Verse 16. But this was that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19. Don't get it up there. Yes. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs of the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. Now, we're finding out some of the things that we see that are happening uh, in Acts chapter 2, but I, w I want you to, to notice exactly where we get to the part about Peter's sermon. Now, when we find Peter standing up, the Holy Spirit has come on the scene. And he is getting ready to stand up. He is getting ready to preach. He's getting ready to let them know what really is taking place. Verse number 14, the sermon where we read here, some people call it the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, why do we not call the Sermon on the Mount the greatest sermon ever preached? Many people feel like that that is the greatest sermon ever preached. But the reason why this is such a wonderful great sermon. The Pentecost sermon is a sermon that explains the cross, the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a sermon after it was preached that 3,000 souls came to believe on Jesus Christ and get baptized. The sermon marks the coming of the Holy Spirit and really begins this birth of the church. So it's a very important sermon. It's very important to see what is taking place. Remember what John 14, 12 says? John 14, 12 says, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And this is one of those greater works that he talked about. To see 3,000 souls come to Christ and be baptized. It's a great work. It's a miracle-working power that took place there. So the sermon is one of the greatest things that happened after the day of Pentecost. These Israelites are gathered together. They're celebrating the harvest festival. Peter stands up. He addresses this group in the upper room. 
and he addresses the 11 with, and Peter being there. But now, this is what I was talking about. That sound of that wind got people all on the outside excited to find out what's going on. What's that noise? What's happening here? So in order for Peter to preach and have all these thousands of souls come to Christ, that tells me all these group of people begin to gather in. They begin to come and see what that sound was all about. And they heard it. And so because they heard it and they gathered together and Peter began to preach, he was able to get their attention because he was ready to explain the rush of the wind. He was ready to explain the tongues that they heard. He was ready to explain everything that they, that they needed to hear. And that's what he did. You remember back in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel story? I was reading that again the other day, how the people decided they were going to build a tower to get up to heaven. And it said they all had made up their mind because everyone was at that time spoke one language. So they all understood what they needed to do and they decided to do something that was wrong. They decided to build their way to heaven. So when God came down and saw what they were doing, what did he do? He confused their languages so that this bricklayer could no longer ask this bricklayer, hand me some mortar, because what he was saying didn't make no sense. And this one over here asking to go get something, he didn't understand what he was saying. And so what happened? The Bible says it left off the building and it quit and was done. And the people scattered abroad. This is the exact opposite of that. There they were scattered because they couldn't understand. Here they were brought together because every man heard his own language. And so when Peter was able to preach, they began to understand everything that was being said. So Jesus had instructed the disciples to go and wait for this power. It had come. The Great Commission's underway. And now it's getting started with 3,000 souls being saved. The main message of, of Pentecost sermon that Peter preached here, Peter connected with what had happened. He connected with everything that is going on. And when I read these scriptures in verse 16 and 17 and 18 and 19, 20, all of those things told about Peter's sermon and what he and what he preached. But let's look at verse number 21 of Acts chapter 2. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's wrapping his sermon up. He's told him exactly everything that's taken place, but he says, now there's hope. Whosoever or call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad that whosoever still is the same message that we have today? I don't care where people are from, what color they are, how much money they got, where they live, whosoever or call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, in verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel 
and foreknowledge of God you have taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt neither leave my soul in hell, nor wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made me know the ways of life, and shall make me full of joy in thy countenance. Then he says, listen, men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you, the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and the sepulcher is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath of him that the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, shall be raised up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this, before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Then Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. So he goes on to explain to them what they did to the Lord, how it was God's will. He didn't stay in the grave. He's raised up. But notice in verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalting, having received the Father of the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. So Peter's saying, you know what you've just heard? This is what it is, what you've just witnessed. And so he reminds them about David once again. And then we get on down to verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were convicted and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter was waiting to hear that. Aren't you? That's a wonderful time when you've witnessed to someone, you've been witnessing to them, telling them about Christ, and all of a sudden they come to a point where the Holy Spirit's convicting them just like they were pricked in their hearts, and people will look at you and say, Well, what can I do now? And we can tell them just like Peter did, Verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and your children that are afar off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. And with many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this outward generation. Then... They that gladly received the word were baptized the same day and were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's the difference when the Spirit came on the scene. Filled Peter with the boldness to preach. Gave him the message to preach. And he preached and these people gave their hearts to Christ. So, the invitation was given. People accepted that invitation. They responded to that invitation. And then there were some results from that invitation. They continued as a community of believers. I know we don't have much time, but you, you take some time and go down and read the rest of this chapter and see what happened after these folks got saved. Let me tell you, when somebody gets saved, there's a difference that comes over their life and in their life. Someone can tell me all day that they got saved and there's no change in their, in their lifestyle or how they act and talk. Something's wrong. I'm not going to be their judge, but 
but I'm going to look at them as a fruit inspector and say something is wrong. Because the Bible says old things have passed away and all things are become new. And when I look at what happened to these people, they begin to break bread together from house to house. They begin praising the Lord, and the Lord continued to add to the church daily. The church was born. It grew from 3,000. Look at, look at how it continued to grow. Acts chapter 4, verse number 4. Look at how they continued to grow and continued to be evolved because from Peter's message and continuing on that day. Acts 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men, look at this one, 5,000. Acts chapter 5, verse number 14. We see that they will continue to grow, and many and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. One more, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7. They continued to grow. The word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company, look at this, of priests were obedient to the faith. Or things just begin to continue to happen. So that's what took has taken place. It's the same spirit that moved on the water back in Genesis. The way over here in Acts chapter 120 were miraculously filled with the spirit that day. Can things still happen like that today? Can the church still be added to today? Can people still be reached with the gospel today? They sure can. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. Lead us, guide us, and do the things that He asks us to do. Follow Him. We cannot command the Spirit to do something, but we can certainly have our hearts prepared, and it can bring help us bring life to people all around us today. So, there's a fire that burns just like that cloven fire that was on the end. There should be a fire burning in our hearts. So, a longing to see things happen. I don't have time today to re read Luke 24, but sometimes you read Luke 24. Do you read about the two men who were walking down Emmaus? And Jesus came along beside them. They didn't know who he was. He talked with them. He expounded to them. He stayed, they compelled him to stay when they got to their house. He stayed with them overnight. And the Bible says when he left, the two said, did not our hearts burn within us? In other words, we, we just couldn't get enough of hearing what the Lord was saying. And that ought to be the same way today. We can be used as instruments of righteousness. So we close this part of the lesson out. It's so important that we realize we shouldn't let the world intimidate us. We shouldn't let other people influence us to what the Spirit can't move in our life. We need to be patient. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to realize it's not by my might, your might, but it's by God's Spirit, saith the Lord. And He wants to pour out that Spirit on us every day. He wants to help us every day. And so, who knows what he may do in the service today. Amen. But come looking to expect some great things from you. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.